Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm burrowed in bed on the new flannel sheets I got from Target, white with birch trees. They feel so soft against my tired and heavy body. When my husband yells, Babe, wake up. I gotta go. I gotta go. The bedside light comes on. I gotta go. We shot people. I met my husband in college just up the road in Ames back in 2009. We had dated casually before breaking up so he could focus on finals. Only to get back together about a month later when he messages me, I miss you. I miss whatever we had. Things became serious that second time around. I met his whole family, all seven of them, and I introduced him to mine, the near 45 of us. <laughs> we moved to Minnesota in 2012 and got engaged the next fall when he handed me a small wooden box painted like Van Gogh's Starry Night. The stars and swirls encompassed the outside, and on the inside of the lid it said, for the girl who waited. And there, seated in the deep blue velvet, was a solitaire Alexandrite on a silver band. I cried, <laughs> said yes, and we celebrated by calling everyone we knew. We'd marry in a small ceremony with his family and a couple of mine in August of 2014. By January, our relationship had begun to change. He'd start wearing headphones while he played video games instead of letting those sounds color our evening. He grew distant and started going out without me. And then he became cruel, criticizing what I ate. When I opened up to him about my worsening depression, he suggested I go to the gym because I'd feel better once I looked better. <laughs> Where was this coming from? Was he having an affair? A desperate creep through his phone didn't tell me anything. So I tried to talk to him, tell him I felt he was acting differently, that I wanted us to begin seeing a couple's counselor, and at each turn I was gaslit and shut down. Well, something needed to happen. By our first anniversary, it was as if invasion of the body snatchers had come and my husband was gone. Lying in our gilded anniversary suite, I knew it was over. This person that I shared my everything with had turned vicious, and being near him was making me feel weird. So I resolved to save my money and ask for a divorce after the holidays, which brings me back to that cold November night. I gotta go, I gotta go. We shot people. He didn't but a friend he met through a message board for weapons enthusiasts did. My husband was frantically packing a bug out bag of supplies before he would leave me confused and alone in our home at 1 a.m. to go call a lawyer and potentially turn himself in. The next day, our home was surrounded by SWAT 
as he was frog-marched onto our driveway and arrested. The following afternoon, I was contacted by a reporter from a local CBS affiliate and told my home was host to several Minneapolis police officers while they served a search warrant. It was as if tiny bombs in all the drawers, nooks, and crannies had exploded all at once. In our bedroom, our clothes made a new carpet, large boot prints of drywall dust showing where they had walked. Our drawers were empty. My husband and his friends attended the protest for the fatal shooting of a young black man in North Minneapolis. Their attendance resulted in the shooting of five protesters by his friend. My husband would ultimately be charged with misdemeanor aiding an offender down from the original felony charges. Though the real victims of this story are those that felt the physical impact of those bullets, their families, their community, the emotional buckshot of his offense ricocheted through my already damaged life. I cried so much during those first weeks as I carried the weight of his crime. I could have, <laughs> no, I should have moved out months prior. I reached this new level of gutted and numb previously unknown to me. Who did I marry? I, I mean, I know he was growing more cruel, but this cruel? And if he was that hateful, what did that make me? Where did this leave me? It left me picking up the pieces with this Looney Tunes-esque anvil on my chest weighing me down. So I picked up the house. I made plans with my friends to move out. I researched if I could move out and ask for a divorce. Or would that risk me having to testify at trial? Move out, yes. Divorce, not yet. But my friends were there to support me. We decided to drop everything and go to Iceland without plane tickets or passports. And all the while, my disaster of a movie of a life was unfolding. Overhearing a phone conversation, my husband asks, Iceland? When are we going to Iceland? Not we. Me. Um, but we need to talk. And that's when I told him I was moving out. Hungover, <laughs> sweating out shots from the night before, my friends again showed up with love and patience for me as we packed my life and tiny dog into three cars and one questionable trailer. Driving to the apartment, I had signed for sight unseen with deposit money pooled together by those angels. I cried. I cried for my hopes. I cried for my dreams of a future together. And I cried for myself. Any pretense I had had at that point of being over this boy and ready to be Stella getting her groove back was quickly smashed by the weight of my own grief and self-pity. All alone, 
all alone, whether you like it or not. Alone is something you'll be quite a lot, Dr. Seuss writes. And I was. But I wasn't. Lying in my shoebox of an apartment on only an air mattress, I held my dog close and tried to disappear. Tried is the operative word here, though, because I had the equivalent of a baseball team not letting me give up on myself. Anytime there was an update on the trial, we'd suddenly have to be out all night playing bar trivia or over at someone's house having family dinner and watching YouTube videos together. They continue to feed me the love and the grace that I was unable to give myself. Slowly, though, things started to get easier. A new job in 2017 brought better health insurance, and I could begin therapy and the long road to finding my new normal. Lisa and I would meet twice a week to talk through my divorce and my feelings of being unloved and unappreciated. During one of our sessions, Lisa challenged me to start finding the beauty in myself and the world around me. She wanted me to start taking pictures of myself whenever I was happy or thought I looked good and to save them in a folder. And then on the days where I was struggling, she wanted me to revisit that folder. Soon, this became my bad day folder. And the first selfie I added was the one I took after we made it to Reykjavik. We had been awake for over two days at that point by the time we arrived at the opera house along the coastline. My hair was stringy. I badly needed a shower. But my smile was so big. <laughs> I remember my cheeks hurting while we wandered. It had been so, so long since I had been that happy and free. With time, this folder and the pictures, videos, and memes therein had evolved into a shield to protect me from the bad and the difficult. When there was an update on my husband's trial, I'd be able to flip to a photo of my dog, Tucker, sleeping on my pillow in the sun. It was actually during this process of rediscovering joy that I began to explore forging a new identity for myself. Having two Courtney's in a friend group can get a little confusing, and my friends had begun to refer to me as Samantha a couple weeks prior to the shooting, a name I had chosen in jest as an homage to my favorite Sex in the City character, Samantha Jones. She was fearless and empowered and everything I had lost in myself. With the new name came blue and purple hair, a septum piercing, an adornment of new tattoos. I began to experiment with my clothes and my makeup, no longer trying to become invisible. Each step giving me my power back and helping me feel comfortable in my skin once more. When it came time to sign the divorce papers, I saw an opportunity. I didn't have to keep this nickname with just friends. I could be this new me everywhere all the time. And so, 
on page 11, I wrote my new first name, Samantha. Becoming Samantha legally felt like this first step in the, into the journey of the rest of my life, further distancing myself from my marriage and my ties to a life with him. Now, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that changing my name magically approved upon my ability to love who I am. But unlike my name, my baggage didn't stay in the old life. It came along too. And I continue to work through each article, each triggering event piece by piece. It's been just over five years since my divorce was granted. And when I think about how far I've come, funny because the next line is it can bring me to tears. <laughs> I am much stronger than I thought I was, and I am so thankful to the people in my life who reminded me of that until I was able to see it for myself. I am not what someone says I am or what happens to me. I am deserving of the love of others, and most importantly, myself. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.